1: Okay, I'm gonna get started this morning by just officially welcoming all of you guys. Sawadee Kap, welcome. Welcome to Wat Tung Yu. Nice to see all of you guys here at the temple. And those of you guys that are joining us online, welcome to everyone. Today is the third day of a five-day course that I'm sharing the foundational teachings of the Buddha. And I know some of you guys might just be here for the morning, which is fine. You guys can stay as long as you like, or you can leave whenever you would like. If you'd like to stay throughout the rest of the course, you're more than welcome to. Today, what we're going to be doing is starting with meditation. I do some chanting and then guide you in a meditation session. And then after meditation, we're going to move into some teachings of the Buddha, helping you guys to understand the path to enlightenment, where with the enlightened mind, the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no longer experiencing any discontent feelings. Today, our topics are the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. This is where you're going to be learning about the three high level problems in the mind and you're going to learn how to transform this. So I'm going to share with you what the problems are in the mind and then how to actually transform it. After that, we're going to be talking about the five precepts, which are five impactful decisions that you can make that are either going to be wise or unwise. And based on the decisions that you make, you'll experience either wholesome results or unwholesome results. So I'm going to be sharing that as well this morning after we take our break at some point. And then we take a nice long lunch. We take about an hour and a half lunch. And then when we come back in the afternoon, I'm going to be teaching walking meditation to help students understand how to do meditation while you're actually walking. So if you'd like to learn any of these things, you're welcome to stick around today. We even have plans for tomorrow and Friday as well. You're all welcome either here at the temple or online. You're welcome to join us for all of this. So if you'd like to join for meditation, the way that we start with meditation is I do a chant in order to ease into meditation. These chants are done in the Pali language. This is the original language of the teachings of the Buddha. His teachings are captured in this original historical language. It's no longer a spoken language today. These chants, they're not a rite, a ritual, or a ceremony, or worship. It's not prayer or anything like that. During the lifetime of the Buddha, he used chanting as a way to help his students to commit the teachings to memory because everything that he taught was oral. So the way that they remembered his teachings is once every two weeks they came together and they chanted his teachings word for word for word to commit them to memory. And so there's nothing mystical or magical about these chants. It's to help ease the mind into meditation. That's why we use them nowadays because we don't need to use these chants in order to memorize his teachings anymore. We have books, we have videos, we have podcasts, all these different things. So people use the chants in order to ease the mind into meditation and actually get more benefit out of the meditation. So as I'm chanting, you're welcome to join along there's these laminated sheets that are on the table over there and I see, I think somebody kind of helped hand them out. So you're welcome to get a laminated sheet over there on the table. You can see not only the Pali language, but you can see the English translations as well. And if you read those English translations, you see that there's a lot of respect, a lot of admiration and gratitude for the Buddha. I suspect that he actually didn't create these chants himself. It was probably his students, either during his life or after his death, because a Buddha has already eliminated any kind of ego or arrogance or pride or boastfulness. He's not going to go around and teach people to chant things like this, to admire him and give them this gratitude. But if you learn from a teacher how to move from sadness, anger, frustration, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings and you moved from that to your mind being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy for the rest of your life, you would have a lot of respect and a lot of admiration for this person. The Buddha didn't want anything from you. He didn't expect anything from you. He didn't even ask anything of you. He just shared the teachings out of loving kindness and compassion to help people move from these discontent feelings into this enlightened mental state where the mind can be peaceful and joyful for the rest of your life. So if you'd like to chant along, you're welcome to do that. After the chants, I'm going to provide some guidance to be able to help you understand how to do the meditation while we're actually meditating in the meditation. And then there'll be a period of time where we'll all just be meditating together. Those of you guys here, those of you guys online, we'll just all be meditating together. Then we'll come out of the meditation with some chanting, and then we'll move into some teaching from there. So if you'd like to join those of you guys that are on the floor in a chair, this is a common place to meditate either in the seated position, lying, standing, or walking. But most of you guys I see are all in the seated position. So if you're on the floor, you might just cross your legs lightly. Some people like to put multiple cushions under their rear in order to get the hips up in the air. Some people like to even put their legs off the mat. This also gets the hips up in the air. By lessening the angle at the hips, the knees, and the ankles, it allows the circulation to flow more readily in the lower body. So the lower body should be comfortable, not luxurious and not painful. If you're in a chair, some people like to put their feet flat on the floor or lightly cross at the ankles. It's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way because this isn't actually possible. So you find what's comfortable for you with the lower body. The hands and the arms, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together and he put this into his lap. So if this is comfortable for you, you could use that. But again, there's other options because it's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way. Some people like to put their palms on their thighs or their knees. Some people put their palms up, You might even just rest them comfortably in your lap. It's really up to you, whatever is comfortable for you. The upper body should be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation, whereas if you were slouched, the mind would have a tendency to be dull or lethargic or complacent. But if you were real rigid as well, this would make the mind maybe overactive or uptight. So you'd like the upper body to be erect where the mind can be attentive and alert during the meditation. So I'm gonna ease into meditation with some chanting, which you guys are welcome to join with, and then I'll provide guidance once we get into the meditation itself.
2: Ara semasa mato atammo namang namassa mi supathipano yamakhwato savakasankho Sangang nama aming Napmur ha sa bhaka vato ara Napmoe asa hakevato Ara Samputasa eighty piece Sada masati sata tawa manu senang, oto
3: With the lower body and hands and arms comfortable. in the upper body erect. Just close the eyes. And start breathing in through the nose. And out through the nose. Here you're just looking to establish the breath. A nice, natural, steady, consistent breath. Not forced or controlled, just a gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose, breathing in.
4: and out. Breathing in and out.
3: Your breath may not match up with the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay. This is your practice. I'm just here for guidance. You can use this voice
1: as a reminder that whenever you get to your next inhale, breathing gradually through the nose, establishing a nice, natural, steady, consistent breath. And
3: then whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose, experiencing the full breath.
4: Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out.
3: With the breath well established, start fixating the mind on the breath.
1: Either the sound of the breath coming into the nose, or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose.
3: The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in,
4: and out. Breathing in, and out.
3: With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you notice that it moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to observe your thoughts,
1: label them, judge them, analyze them, or even try to figure out where they're coming from. Whenever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, Cut that off, let it go,
3: and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in.
4: In, out. Breathing in. And out.
3: I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath. Cutting off and
1: letting go anytime the mind moves off the breath.
3: You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus
4: on the breath, breathing in and out. (laughs)
2: I'm <laughs> not SAAVAKHATO MAHAKWATTA KAM MOH DAMANG Ka Namami Samputasa Napmoerhasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Napmoerhasa Bhagavato Samputasa ARAH TO SAMA SAMPUTASA ITI PISO EMHAKAWA ARAH HANG SAMA SAMUTO Wijajaaranang samuno, sakatoro kawitu, anu teropuri sa. NAMASATI sati TAVA MANUSANAM O TO Okay, if
3: you like to ease your way out of meditation,
1: I'll go ahead and welcome all of you guys again. Welcome, Sawadee Kap. Welcome to those of you guys that joined us since we started meditating, those of you guys here at the temple, as well as those of you guys that are online. If those of you guys here at the temple, if you're new to the temple and you haven't been here before, I'd like to just share a couple of things with you guys. There's a bathroom in the back of the room, the very last door. You're welcome to get up and use that at any point. We even have bathrooms outside the classroom. If you go outside the door, you'll follow, you can follow the main signs that goes to the main temple bathroom. So at any time you would like to use the restroom, you're welcome to go use the restroom. We even have water here that is provided by our students. You guys are welcome to help yourself To water. I think there's even a couple of little snacks over there still. I I taught a children's retreat last week and they left behind a few snacks for you guys. So feel free to help yourself to any of that stuff. So, again, welcome to all of you guys. Welcome to Wat Tung Yu. Today is the third day of a five-day course that I'm teaching on the foundation of the path to enlightenment. This is where students are learning how to establish a foundation in order to develop a life practice to get to this enlightened mental state. The enlightened mental state is where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You'll no longer experience any anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment. Even the slightest displeasure is eliminated from the enlightened mind. You'll not even ever be in a bad mood any longer once the mind gets to this enlightened mental state. The mind is focused, concentrated. You have clarity of mind, deep memory. You'll notice that your personal and professional relationships will really blossom because your mind has been trained to the point where you've uprooted certain pollutions out of the mind. And now you can live harmoniously with all beings around you. Right now, if you're having certain challenges in your relationships, this is because of what's going on in your own mind. The Buddha will help you to be able to independently see that it's your mind that's causing these discontent feelings. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, we think that other people are causing us to be angry or other people are causing us to be frustrated or things like this. But what I'm going to share with you is the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots, or sometimes referred to as the three fires. This is where you're going to understand how your mind is causing its own discontent feelings. There's another teaching that I shared yesterday that kind of walks you you through in a more systematic way called the four noble truths this is usually the first teaching that an individual will learn on their journey to enlightenment in order to help them understand the problem in the unenlightened mind the cause of that the elimination of it and the path forward and then once you study that you usually move deeper into understanding the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires and then beyond this there's even another layer of detail called the ten fetters which goes into a lot more detail where the Buddha explains the 10 individual pollutions or defilements or taints that are in the unenlightened mind. And he gives you the tools and the techniques of how to uproot these out of the mind. And as you're doing this, you'll be able to see that the mind's becoming more peaceful and more joyful. So the teachings of the Buddha, it's not about believing a bunch of things and then hoping something good happens when you die. Instead, you're learning teachings, you're reflecting on those to independently verify them, and you're practicing them to be able to see the truth. So as I talk today, you'll be able to look at your own direct experiences in life and you'll be able to independently verify what I'm sharing with you so that you can see through your own direct experience that what's being shared is the truth and what you actually experience. So you're not believing, 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 and then hoping something good happens when you die. Instead, you're learning now, you're reflecting now to independently verify his teachings, and then you're practicing his teachings now. So therefore you actually see the results now in this life. You actually will see that the mind's moving closer to this peacefulness, closer to this joy. What you're doing is you're awakening the mind to the natural laws of existence. The Buddha didn't teach the way that the world should be. And then if everybody follows those rules and follows those commandments, that then the world becomes peaceful Instead, he's teaching you the way that the world is. And by you understanding the way the world is, then by you learning and awakening to that wisdom, you can actually train your mind to become more peaceful and more joyful. So by you learning these natural laws of existence and not believing them, but learning, reflecting, and practicing, you can understand how the world is. And rather than struggle and have difficulties in your life, where right now when you meet with certain decisions, you might have certain challenges and certain struggles, when you awaken to the wisdom, of these natural laws, you'll be able to understand how the world functions around you because it's very difficult to live in a world that you don't understand. If you don't understand the world around you, you'll struggle and have difficulties because the mind has a lack of wisdom. So you're learning, reflecting, and practicing to awaken to the wisdom of these natural laws so you can see the truth for yourself. You did the same thing with the natural law of gravity as you were growing up. You struggled with this natural law of gravity because you didn't understand it. So you fell down, you hit your head, maybe you broke open your elbow, maybe you broke your toys, maybe you broke other people's things. But slowly but surely, through gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress, you awaken to the wisdom of this natural law of gravity, and now you make wiser decisions. You can get to the point where you've a ladder, you can get on airplanes, you can ride bicycles, you can ride a motorbike, because you fully awoke to the wisdom of the natural law of gravity, and now you make wiser decisions that lead to wholesome results. But when we lacked wisdom of the natural law of gravity, we made unwise decisions that led to unwholesome results. In the same same thing is happening with these natural laws of existence that the Buddha taught with a lack of wisdom, you'll naturally make unwise decisions that lead to unwholesome results in your life without even realizing it because the mind just doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. So what I'm going to be sharing with you is these natural laws, helping you to understand how the mind functions when it has craving, anger, and ignorance. And I'll explain to you the symptoms and the challenges that the mind will experience when it has these three poisons. And you'll be able to verify for yourself as I'm explaining it to you that your mind has these three poisons. If your mind is currently unenlightened, you'll be able to see that what I'm sharing with you of these three poisons, you'll be able to see through your own direct experience that yes, this is what you experience in life. And then what I'm also going to share with you is I'm going to share with you the solutions of how to uproot these pollutions out of your mind so that as you're implementing these solutions, you can see more and more improvement to the condition of your mind and in your life. Like I mentioned, your personal, professional relationships will really improve. You'll notice focus, concentration, clarity of mind, deep memory. Eventually, as you get closer and closer to enlightenment and the mind's actually enlightened, you'll get to the point where you no longer experience any of those discontent feelings like anger, frustration, sadness, and others. So again, welcome to all of you guys. And as we go, you're welcome to ask any and all questions. Here at the temple, if you would like to ask questions, we have microphones in the white bowl there in front of the camera. We have two of them. If you guys would just pass those around because we have a bunch of people online that are joining us. And if you use the microphone, not only will we be able to hear you here at the temple, but they'll be able to hear you online as well. And for those of you guys online, you can ask questions as well. You can put them into Facebook, YouTube or Zoom or in Zoom. You can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow up questions directly. So let me start by sharing with you just kind of a high-level understanding of what the three poisons are, and then we'll go into each poison and talk about them in detail. So we refer to these three poisons as the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, or the three fires. Some people even refer to them as the defilements, or the pollutions, or the taints. These defilements or these unwholesome roots—they're a high-level description of the pollution in the unenlightened mind. It helps explain how the Enlightened mind stays in this state of being unenlightened and how it makes decisions through these three poisons. And by making decisions through these three poisons, the mind is making unwise decisions and unwholesome results are going to be experienced. These unwholesome results are what we refer to as unwholesome gamma. There's wholesome gamma and there's unwholesome gamma. This word gamma, it's a Pali word that you may have referred to or heard it referred to as karma. The karma word is from the Sanskrit language. The word Gamma is from the Pali language. The original teachings of the Buddha are in the Pali language, so we tend to use the word Gamma. And people who are studying in Sanskrit might use the word Karma. But the original teachings of the Buddha are in Pali, so I use this word Gamma. If it translated to just one English word, I would just use that word because it would be much easier for you. But it doesn't translate to just one English word, so I still need to use this Pali word. What the word Gamma means is It means cause and effect or action and result. It's the results of your decisions. It's your life, it's your decisions, and it's your results. It's not this mystical, magical thing. It's not punishments and rewards. It's not even who's to blame or who's at fault. There's no being that's overseeing this natural law of gamma. There's no entity that's overseeing it. It's just the results of your decisions. So, for example, if you're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, that's a choice that you're making. And then people will tend to be polite, kind, friendly, respectful with you. That's the results of your decisions. That's your wholesome karma based on your wise decision to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And then conversely, if you were impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, then you're going to experience unwholesome karma. The unwholesome results of your decisions is that people will tend to be that way with you. So this Unwholesome karma that is being generated in your life is coming from decisions made through craving, anger, and ignorance. When you make decisions through craving, anger, and ignorance, which you're gonna understand what that is in a moment, that you're gonna experience unwholesome results in your life. What you experience in life is a result of your decisions. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, we tend to blame other people for what we experience in life. But more and more, you're going to be able to see if you study the teachings of the Buddha, that what you experience is based on your decisions. And this is why you can get to a point where your mind is peaceful and joyful permanently. Because if it's everyone else that's causing your mind to be discontent and angry and frustrated, that means you need to train everyone else to do things your way, right? There's 8 billion people in the world. You're going to have to train everybody to do things your way. You're gonna have to have a massive training program to get everyone to do things your way. Or you can just train one mind. And if you just train one mind, then you can actually get to this peace and this joy. And this is why you have the ability to get to enlightenment because what's causing the mind to be discontent is actually inside your own mind. So these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires are explaining what the unenlightened mind is experiencing and how it makes decisions and experiences these unwholesome results. It provides a clear description of the problems in the unenlightened mind and actually how to solve those problems. So I'm gonna help you to understand that. It's the 10 fetters that explain the problem in detail, but the way that the Buddha teaches is is it's this layered effect that you start At one point and you get deeper and deeper and deeper so yesterday I taught the highest level of detail which is the Four Noble Truths in four simple statements you can understand the problem the cause the elimination and the path forward you can have a real breakthrough to finally understanding what's causing these discontent feelings because if you don't understand what's causing your anger and frustration you won't actually be able to solve it so the Four Noble Truths is helping you to understand what's causing those discontent feelings so that then you can actually solve Love it. So the antidotes or the remedies or the solutions to these three unwholesome roots are oftentimes referred to as the three wholesome roots. So when you're practicing the three wholesome roots, then it's going to produce wholesome karma or wholesome results. So what you're doing on the path to enlightenment is you're purifying the mind of these three unwholesome roots by bringing in more and more of the three wholesome roots. So when you bring down the three unwholesome roots and you bring up the three wholesome roots in your mind and you start making decisions through those, that's where you'll see improved results in your life. So I'm going to share with you the three unwholesome roots or the three poisons or the three fires, but I'm also going to be sharing with you what the three wholesome roots are because these are the solutions to help you antidote or remedy the unenlightened mind and purify it of these unwholesome roots. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to first talk about this from a high level about each individual poison, and then I'm going to go into detail and explaining what each one is and the solutions. Now that you guys understand a little bit about the three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, just kind of what they are. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into each one of them individually and kind of... Talk about them also kind of like at a high level, what each one of them are individually. But then I'm going to go into each one in detail so that you can understand them in detail. So here, these are the three poisons referred to as craving, anger, and ignorance. This word ignorance is nowadays kind of a derogatory term. So I don't tend to use this word very much. This is what people are translating the words of the Buddha over to. Some people refer to that as confusion or misunderstanding. I tend to refer to it as the unknowing of true reality and you'll understand why when we get to it some people refer to these as greed hatred and delusion or desire ill will and confusion you'll see why because as i describe these it will help you to understand what they are from a high level essentially these three poisons are masking one's true nature of the mind they're Hindering the mind from experiencing this awakenness where the mind can exist in the world harmoniously with all beings. It's motivating non virtuous or unskillful intentions, speech, and actions. And all unwholesome gamma or unwholesome results in your life is coming from these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots. It's masking this brightness and this radiance of the natural enlightened mind. What craving is, or this greed or this desire, this is the mind's selfishness. The attachment, the grasping for something outside of yourself, thinking that these things are going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction, the craving, the desire, attachment, ones, expectations. This is like the longing, the yearning, the chasing after the objects of your affection. If you've ever been in the mall, for example, and you were like, oh, look at that new pair of shoes or look at that new phone, that new computer. Yes, 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 yes. I got to have it. I got to have it. I got to have it. And you chase that particular thing. And if you got what you want you got pleasant feelings like happiness excitement elation thrill exhilaration euphoria you might even been excited to come here to this talk today you might have been excited to come to thailand so excited because you got what you want you had this longing and yearning to come to thailand but then the problem with craving desire attachment is is that those pleasant feelings are only temporary Those feelings arise, they change, and they fade away. And then the mind ends up in these painful feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety. So if you chase after the objects of your affection, in some cases you're gonna get what you want and get those pleasant feelings, but then those feelings fade away and ultimately your mind's gonna end up in the irritation or the annoyance or some other painful feeling. But if you chase after the objects of your affection and you don't get what you want, your mind's going to end up in these painful feelings where the mind's frustrated and angry or irritated. So the mind, as long as it has this longing and yearning, it's chasing after the objects of its affection. In some situations, you'll get what you want. And then in other situations, you're not going to get what you want. You can't permanently get what you want in the world. So for example, we'll just use a simple example. Say your mind wants it to be sunny outside because you're going hiking today with your friends and you wake up in the morning and you see it's sunny outside. It's like, yes, it's sunny outside. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to go hiking with my friends. We're going to go into nature, into the forest. Oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait to go. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And then you go take a shower and then you come out of the shower and it's raining. Oh, you're gonna be so frustrated and angry. Well, if you based your inner feeling of happiness on the sun, this sun is a temporary thing. It's impermanent. The sun is not permanent. So that means your happiness that was in your mind is not permanent either because you have this conditional feeling. The mind is experiencing this conditional happiness, conditional excitement. It's based on some condition. And that condition is the sun. If it's sunny outside, you'll be happy. But because that sun is impermanent, it's only temporary. That means your feeling of happiness is only temporary too. So then your mind moves to this sadness or frustration or agitation. Essentially, the unenlightened mind is going up and down and up and down with these emotions because it's experiencing conditioned feelings. It's forming its inner feelings based on some condition. But because those conditions are impermanent, <clears throat> that means your feelings are impermanent as well. By the time you get to enlightenment, your mind is beyond all of this. Your mind isn't experiencing conditional feelings any longer. You're experiencing unconditioned happiness or unconditioned joy. So in the unenlightened mind, this condition, met, this condition has to be 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 met, and then you'll be happy. And if those conditions aren't met, then you'll be sad or frustrated. And the more expectations or the more wants that you have, the fewer and fewer amount of time or the less and less amount of time that you can actually be happy because your expectations and your wants are growing and growing and growing. So this is what the unenlightened mind is experiencing with craving, desire, attachment. If mom does this, if my boss does this, if my bank account is this, if the weather is this, then I will be happy. But if those things aren't true, then you'll be sad or frustrated or irritated. This is the mind going up and down, up and down because of craving, desire, attachment, this longing, this yearning, wanting things to be a certain way in the world. But the world can't be the way you want it to be permanently because of the universal truth of impermanence. So one of the things that happens when the mind is craving and it doesn't get what it wants It then moves to this other poison, which is anger, hatred, or ill will. And there's lesser versions of this, like frustration, agitation, annoyance, and others. What this anger, hatred, and ill will is, this is where the mind becomes bitter and hostile and aggressive towards others. The unenlightened mind falsely believes that other people are causing you to be angry. And when you perceive that other people are causing you to be angry, when you misunderstand true reality of what's actually happening, you'll either push that person away or you'll push the situation away thinking that that's going to solve the problem. And now when you push the person away you push the situation away it's only a matter of time before you get angry about something else or you get agitated about something else. This is one of the ways that you know that that's not the problem. Other people aren't causing you to be angry because if they were the problem as soon as you push them away you'd be happy. You'd be peaceful for the rest of your life, but because when you push them away, they aren't the actual problem. That's why you get angry or frustrated about something else. Or if you misunderstand the problem because the problem is craving, desire, attachment that's causing the mind to be discontent, the second thing you might do if you're not pushing them away or pushing the situation away is you might become bitter and harsh and hostile through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. And now when you're functioning that way, now you're producing these unwholesome results. You're producing this unwholesome karma that people might choose to leave out of your life. Or people might be bitter and harsh and hostile back with you because you're putting that out. That's what's coming back to you. This is your gamma. So the third thing that can happen, if you misunderstand what the problem is, thinking that other people are causing you to be angry and frustrated, is the third thing you might do is put your expectations on people and try to control people and tell people to do things your way. So these are the three things that the unenlightened mind will typically do when it misunderstands what the real problem is. The real problem is craving, desire, attachment, but in the unenlightened mind, it doesn't have this wisdom, it doesn't understand that. So it pushes people away or the situation, it becomes bitter and harsh and hostile, or you put your expectations on people, wanting people to do things your way. But because there's eight billion people in the world, you can't train them all to do things your way. And even if you did, they wouldn't be able to do it that way permanently. So as long as there's craving, desire, attachment, these wants, these expectations this longing, this yearning, then you're going to sometimes get what you want. Sometimes you don't get what you want. And then when you don't get what you want, this anger can arise and you can experience this pushing away, this aversion or bitterness and hostility or putting expectations on people. And then the number of people that you can spend time with in the world becomes fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer, fewer, because it's only a matter of time before somebody does something that you disagree with, something that you don't want them to do. And then you might push them away, be bitter and Harsh and hostile, or put your expectations on them, and they feel pressured and they decide to leave out of your life, perhaps. So you can't live harmoniously with all beings as long as craving and anger is in the mind. And the third poison is the whole reason why all of this is actually occurring. This is what we call ignorance or delusion or confusion or misunderstanding. This is where the mind lacks wisdom. It just doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. You're not a bad person. You haven't necessarily done anything wrong. It's just that the mind is unenlightened and every single being that has ever been born is actually unenlightened so as long as the mind lacks wisdom of these natural laws of existence it will continue to think and continue to believe that other people are causing you to be angry you'll continue to push people away be bitter and harsh and hostile, or put your expectations on people. And you'll be stuck in this continuous cycle of broken relationships over and, over and over and over and over and over again. But when you start awakening to the wisdom of these natural laws and you acquire wisdom, antidoting this ignorance, now you can start making wise decisions in the world to eliminate your craving, to eliminate your anger, to eliminate your ignorance or your unknowing of true reality by cultivating the wholesome qualities of the mind, which are the wholesome roots. And now, when you try transform the mind, eliminating craving, anger, and ignorance and arising the wholesome roots, then you can start functioning in the world more harmoniously and you'll see your relationships will drastically improve. You can get to the point where you don't have any bitterness and hostility in your own mind. So therefore the people around you, they don't have any bitterness and hostility either. People will be able to interact with you in wholesome ways because you're interacting in wholesome ways. So the whole craving and anger exists, Because of ignorance, even though we call it craving, anger, and ignorance, the only reason why craving and anger exist is because of this ignorance, because of this unknowing of true reality, because of this lack of wisdom, the confusion, the misunderstanding. The mind lacks the understanding of how to train itself to eliminate craving and anger. So that's what the teachings of the Buddha are for, is to help you awaken to what's truly going on in the mind so that now when you understand the problem, you can actually apply the solution and you see the real results. But as long as you don't understand the problem and you lack wisdom, you'll keep pushing people away, be bitter and harsh and hostile, and then put your expectations on people. And you'll keep seeing that you'll have the same problems over and over and over again. This is why the problems in your life keep repeating over and over and over again, because the mind just hasn't cultivated the the wisdom to understand how to solve those problems. So the mind is still struggles and has difficulties. One of the struggles and difficulties that it has is it keeps experiencing these discontent feelings over and over and over again, the sadness, the anger, the frustration, the irritation. So now I'm going to explain what each one of these are in detail with the solutions and antidotes so that you can understand how to actually solve this. So this craving, this desire, this burning desire, this unquenchable thirst, where the mind is chasing after something, thinking that it's gonna find fulfillment and satisfaction outside of itself, this is craving, desire, attachment. Also referred to as wants or expectations, Grasping, holding, clinging. The mind thinks that something external is going to provide some lasting satisfaction. So, if you've ever gotten in a relationship with like a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you experienced all these pleasant feelings, this is because the mind was maybe craving, was longing, was yearning, was wanting this person, it was wanting this affection, it was wanting this relationship. The mind was craving this affection and now you're spending time maybe going to dinner or going to the movies maybe you're spending time having great conversations going to the park maybe you're even having intimate contact and as you're doing this the mind's experiencing this happiness excitement elation thrill exhilaration euphoria based on the condition of having a partner right? A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, wife, or something like this. But now as time goes on, the mind experiences impermanence, that this relationship breaks up. It becomes discontent, you guys in the relationship for whatever reason, and now you're sad, you're frustrated, you're agitated, you're annoyed. The mind's craving permanence. It's wanting this relationship to be permanent. And as long as you guys were together, there was a certain amount of happiness and excitement in that relationship. And then when the mind experienced this impermanence with the relationship ending, now the mind doesn't understand impermanence in the unenlightened state. The mind hasn't learned the natural laws of existence to understand The universal truth of impermanence that this relationship was always impermanent, but the mind was craving for it to be permanent. So, when the mind was getting what it wanted, which was the relationship, it was happy. But then, when the relationship ended, it wasn't getting what it wanted, which was this relationship to be permanent. And now the mind experiences the anger, the sadness, the frustration, or other discontent feelings. The same thing is happening like when someone dies in your life. If you've had grandma or grandpa or mom, dad, brothers, sisters, friends or family members that have passed away, when you were grieving and you were sad, it wasn't from the love. Oftentimes people think it's love that's causing the mind to be discontent at the time of a funeral or when you break up in a relationship. What love is, is love is a genuine interest in seeing a being be well and you're interested in seeing them be well, you have this active goodwill towards them. That doesn't actually cause the mind to be sad or frustrated. What's causing the mind to be sad or frustrated at the time of someone's death or when you break up in a relationship is it's the mind craving permanence. The mind wants grandma and grandpa to be permanent or mom or dad, or brothers and sisters, or friends. And when the mind experiences this impermanence because of the death, now the mind doesn't understand that in the unenlightened state. It doesn't understand that grandma and grandpa are impermanent. Maybe you understood on an intellectual level that of course grandma and grandpa have to die. Of course mom or dad or brothers and sisters have to die. That's the intellectual understanding. But the mind having this craving, this unwholesome root, this pollution, this lack of wisdom, now it experiences is this impermanence that it doesn't understand. And now because it's craving them to be permanent, the mind experiences these disconsent feelings. Another example is say you get a brand new car and you take this brand new car in the community, you get all this attention. People see you got this brand new car. Maybe it's like, wow, look at her. She's so successful. Wow. Look at him. He's so successful. And now you take it and you park it at the store and you come out and there's a scratch on the car. And now you get frustrated because this was like your favorite car. You worked really hard to get this car and you got this scratch on your car. Well, it's not the scratch that's causing the discontent feelings of frustration or annoyance or anger or whatever it is. It's not even the person who caused the scratch. That's not what's causing the anger. What's causing the anger is the mind's craving for this car to be permanently beautiful. When this not possible for this car to be permanently beautiful, the paint's going to fade, the tire is going to need to be changed, the upholstery is going to fade away or get ripped or torn or something like this. You would like to try to keep the car nice. It would be wonderful if nobody ever scratched your car. You know, we're not talking about what's wise or unwise in this particular situation. We're just talking about what's causing the mind to be discontent. It's that the mind is craving permanence, wanting this car to look a a certain way permanently. And as long as you're craving and longing and yearning for this car to look permanently, a certain way, then when it doesn't look that way, you're going to be frustrated or agitated or angry. So again, it'd be wonderful if nobody ever scratched your car, but that's not the world you live in. You live in an impermanent world where things are constantly changing. This car can't look permanently beautiful. So if you understand that your mind is craving and longing and yearning, you can look at all the examples around your life. In situations where you've been angry or frustrated or feeling disappointment or any other discontent feelings, And you can independently reflect on what I'm sharing with you and you can see how your mind's causing its own discontent feelings. So you can reflect on a recent situation, whether it was this morning, whether it was yesterday or last week, and you can look at that situation. There was something your mind was craving that it didn't get. And because it didn't get what it wanted, it ended up in the anger, the sadness, and the frustration. So you can take a few moments right now, if you'd like, and start reflecting on that experience. Whether it was this morning, yesterday, last week, your mind was craving and longing, yearning. You were wanting something. Maybe at that time, you were looking for somebody to blame for the feelings that you were experiencing. But now with this fresh eyes and this new wisdom, Look at that situation in a different way. Instead of looking for someone to blame, look at that situation. What was it that your mind wanted that it didn't get? And when it didn't get those things, it ended up in the anger, the sadness, the frustration, or some other discontent feeling. And if you have difficulty seeing what that is, that your mind is actually causing these feelings itself, let me know when we get to the question period here in a moment, and I will help you to be able to see that your mind is causing this itself. Because until you understand what the problem is in the mind, you won't ever be able to solve it. You'll continue to be angry and frustrated the rest of your life. But if you can objectively look at what's going on and what I'm sharing with you and reflect on what your experiences are, you can start to understand the problem in the mind and then you can understand the solution. And when you apply the solution, you can actually get to a real result, a real remedy. You can get to a better existence where your mind is peaceful and joyful. So, this craving, this longing, this yearning, this chasing after things, as long as you get what you want, you'll get pleasant feelings. But those are only temporary. So, the mind ultimately ends up in this displeasure anyway. So, those. Pleasant feelings that are conditional pleasant feelings, they're essentially unsatisfying because they're temporary. But then if you don't get what you want, you're going to end up in those painful feelings. So as long as the mind keeps chasing and chasing and chasing, it's going to end up in painful feelings at some point. It's only a matter of time. So the way that you transform all of this and you remedy it is you uproot this craving-desire attachment out of the mind through training the mind. And the Buddha provides you two solutions to help you get started on that journey. He provides you the teaching of breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. The meditation we did this morning, this is breathing mindfulness meditation. You're focused on the breath, and whenever the mind moves off the breath, you're cutting that off, letting it go, and bringing the mind back to the breath. The goal of this meditation isn't to eliminate your thoughts, it's to help the mind let go. Because when you're craving, you're desiring, you're chasing after things, you're holding on to things, you're wanting things to be a certain way. And again, if you get what you want, you get pleasant feelings. And if you don't get what you want, you get painful feelings. So it's a matter of learning how to pursue your goals, your objectives, your interests, rather than chasing after them or rather than to be indifferent that you gradually work towards your goals, your objectives, and your interests. And you'll be able to do that if you're training your mind regularly with breathing mindfulness meditation. You can't meditate your way to enlightenment, but you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation either. You're going to need this practice of breathing mindfulness meditation so that when you're focused on the breath and the mind moves off the breath, you notice it sooner and sooner. This is called mindfulness, awareness of mind. That you're aware of what the mind's doing. That now when the mind moves off the breath, You notice that and you're developing concentration by focusing on the breath as well. These are the two wholesome qualities that you're developing is mindfulness and concentration. And then you're also eliminating an unwholesome quality in your meditation, that when the mind moves off the breath, you're cutting that off, letting it go and bringing the mind back to the breath. So if in meditation, you had 20, 30, 50 different times where you had to bring your mind back and bring your mind back and bring your mind back this is really helpful for you. This is really beneficial. Your mind might've been bombarded with thoughts when you first start meditating. And if you needed to let go of that 20, 30, 40, 50 times, that's really helpful because it's training your mind to let go. Your mind's becoming more disciplined. You're gaining more control. So over a consistent long-term period with breathing mindfulness meditation, you're training the mind to more easily let go. So now in daily life, when say you're at the mall and you see those brand new pair of shoes and you're like, oh, oh, I just got to have those new pair of shoes. Oh, life's going to be so perfect if I can just get those shoes. You might pause for a moment and say, hold on a second. My mind's craving here. I'm longing. I'm yearning. I'm chasing after this. Do I want these shoes or do I need these shoes? Hmm, I've got 30 pairs of shoes at home. How many pairs of shoes can I wear at one time? Right? Surely not 30 pairs. Yeah, you know what? My mind's just chasing after this let me pause here. Let me just go on with my day. I don't need to chase after those shoes because if you go in the store and they have your shoes, you'll get happy, you'll get excited, right? And then next thing you know, they'll get damaged, you'll lose them. Somebody might steal them and you'll be frustrated and angry or you'll go into the shoe store and they won't have your size and then you'll get angry or frustrated or something like that because you're not getting the objects of your affection, right? You're not getting this craving fulfilled. So... You can pursue your needs in life as a goal, as an objective or an interest, but the unenlightened mind doesn't know how to do this. It typically pursues things out of craving, desire, attachment, just chasing after things. So training the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation, you can train your mind to notice when your mind is craving, when you're longing, yearning, and you'll be able to restrain the mind and you'll be able to pull it back so that you're not chasing after things in the way that you might be doing now. So not only is breathing mindfulness meditation helping you to do that, if you're doing this consistently throughout your day, what we do is we practice two to three meditations per day for 30 minutes or more, and you gradually build up to this. It sometimes takes six months, a year, even two years to build up your meditation practice to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or more. But not only do we have this practice to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, but also we practice generosity. Because The opposite of generosity is selfishness. And that's what happens when the mind has craving, desire, attachment. The mind tends to be selfish. It tends to hold on to things very tightly. It doesn't want to let go. So oftentimes as we age, when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, you might hold on to things very tightly. My money, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my kids, my clothes, my job, my car, my house. You might say these kinds of things frequently. Mine, 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 mine. Well, when you practice generosity, which is giving and sharing your time, your effort, your energy, your resources more than is strictly required in any given situation without any expectation of anything in return, this is going to help your mind to let go. Because when you're holding on and you're craving permanence, you'll tend to hold on to your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources, not being interested to share it. So you might find it very difficult to be generous in your life with your friends, with your family, with the people around you, but you can practice generosity where you're giving and sharing without any expectation of anything in return. Even something as simple as when you're going into a store holding the door for somebody behind you. This is generosity. This is sharing your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources. But remember, it's without any expectation of anything in return. If you're standing there holding the door, expecting them to say thank you, and they don't say thank you, you're not getting your craving fulfilled, you'll get frustrated, right? But if you just stand there and hold the door because you're practicing generosity and you don't want anything in return, you don't have any expectation and they just choose to go in, you can still maintain your joy. But if you're standing there with a craving, with a want, with an expectation, wanting them to say thank you and they don't say thank you, That craving, that want, that expectation, it's going to produce frustration in your mind because it's not possible for everyone to say thank you because of the universal truth of impermanence. Some people will say it and some people won't right? So it's important as you're practicing generosity to do this without any expectation of anything in return, sharing your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources. So this is craving, desire, attachment, longing, yearning, wants, expectations. As long as the mind's doing that, it's going to end up in discontentedness. And then the solutions is breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. Do you guys have any questions on this particular poison? Sure, if you could use the microphones there, we have two of them you guys can pass around. There's a gray switch on the front that you can turn that on and then you can speak into it and then we can pass these around as people have questions.
5: Okay, thanks. Um, So can you help me there? I'm wondering how impermanence explains um, all of it because it's just thinking about the laptop now. So we know that the laptop will eventually break down, so it's impermanent. But, we I guess we expect it to break down after, I don't know, maybe eight years. We we'll still be discontent if it happens, but if it breaks down after six months of um, buying it, then uh, we experience much greater discontent. So I'm just wondering whether impermanence alone explains these discontentments or whether it's also um, an element of that we can't control those. Like when the impermanence hap- or yeah, <laughs> when the instances of impermanence happen. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Okay. So it's not the impermanence that's causing the mind to be discontent. It's the mind craving permanence, but it's in an impermanent world. So all these things around you are impermanent. So it's the longing, the yearning, the craving for permanence. So if the mind wants the computer to work permanently, When it experiences impermanence, which it will because this computer is impermanent, that's when it's going to be discontent because of the craving, wanting it to be permanent when this computer isn't permanent.
5: But isn't in this case what we want not so much that the laptop is permanent but that the laptop doesn't um, break down before it's time or something of that kind?
3: There
1: isn't any particular time. This computer is impermanent. It's always going to be changing it sometimes it's going to work sometimes it won't sometimes you're going to lose a file sometimes you won't this is all impermanence this computer can't work permanently even within the first day or the first month it's going to experience impermanence where sometimes you might be working on it and then the battery just dies right without you maybe even realizing it this is impermanence so you can't change impermanence, that this is a universal truth. It's one of the natural laws of existence, but it's one of the things that the unenlightened mind doesn't understand. It doesn't understand that it lives in an impermanent world, so it keeps craving permanence. And even when you understand you live in an impermanent world, like right now, you can look around the world and you can see that everything around you is impermanent. We started with a certain number of students in the class and now we have either less or more. We had certain cushions that people were using and then I saw you guys passing them around and redistributing them, right? We had the computer impermanence, you know, everything, all these things are impermanent, but the unenlightened mind doesn't understand this universal truth. It doesn't understand this natural law. So it lacks the wisdom to understand it. So as long as you're craving permanence of any type, you're going to experience discontentedness. So as long as you have craving in your mind, you'll experience discontentedness. So that's why you need to uproot it and get rid of it and replace it with this wholesome root of generosity. So when you're practicing these teachings, which the Eightfold Path, which we taught yesterday, I don't think you've learned the Eightfold Path yet. I taught it yesterday. It was recorded, so you can watch it if you like. If you learned the Eightfold Path, there's more than just this. This is like the two things that are directly addressing craving, but it's part of an entire path which is called the full path by the way those of you guys that are online you guys can ask questions by facebook youtube or zoom or you can raise your hand in zoom and ask any questions that you like yes ma'am
6: um so i'm a nurse and assistant professor in nursing in the united states and um i'm always giving um and i believe in karma and i believe things happen for a reason and i try to do good um I think my biggest struggle is um, toxic environments, and so I feel that my craving is appreciation, and so I feel like that craving is something of good. Um, And so I guess it's just, um, I'm not sure how to ask the question, is like when the craving is something good based on all my beliefs of generosity and doing good and all that, how do I, I guess, find balance? Sure. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. I'm in a state of really burnout sure. um, just because of that toxic environment.
1: Okay. So it's important to understand with craving, and this is a great example where you can see it, that there's no such thing as a wholesome craving. That sometimes people think if you crave meditation that this is good, for example, I'll use that definite, you know, that example. Well, if you crave meditation, that means if you meditate, you'll be happy. But then say something happens in that day, you can't meditate you'll be frustrated. You'll be angry. So the same thing like this, if you crave appreciation, even though it's wise for your coworkers or your boss or whoever to give you appreciation, if you crave it, when you get it, you'll get happy. But then when you don't get it, you'll get sad or you don't get it to the level that you want it. So you can't get appreciation permanently the way that you want it to be. So while the mind may think that this environment is toxic, what it really is, is that your own mind is having craving and other people, because I, I know America, since I grew up there, there's a lot of craving in American society, right? So you got a lot of craving. So therefore you got a lot of angers in some cases, and therefore it's coming from this unknowing of true reality, this ignorance or delusion or confusion. So if your mind is lacking wisdom, which it is, it has these three poisons, then when you look at this environment, you might judge it as being toxic and think that the environment is the problem. Something external is the problem. And then what the mind will do is want to push this away. Right? But what you would can do in order to solve this problem is you can train your mind to understand these natural laws. And now you can function in any environment peacefully and joyfully, but with the current lack of wisdom, which means there's craving and anger in the mind, you'll struggle in actually doing that and be able to experience that. So as you learn and you train your mind and you develop the path to enlightenment, This is where you'll be able to get to liberation, where you'll get freedom from these strong feelings. And then you'll be able to see more and more that it's not the environment. It's how the mind is perceiving all these things around you and how you're processing the environment around you. Because when you lack wisdom of these natural laws, the mind will struggle in any kind of environment because things can't be the way that the mind wants them to be permanently. So even if you were here in Thailand where it's quite peaceful here because there's not a whole lot of craving, anger and ignorance, there would still be something that doesn't meet your expectation and then you would get frustrated at that. So it's not the external thing. It's the craving in the mind that is causing the problem. And then when you eradicate that, that's where you'll get to the peace and the joy. And it's the Eightfold Path, which is the core central teaching of the Buddha, which is going to help you learn how to do that. These are the two targeted tools that you use for this, but you're going to need to learn the entire path to be able to get to that. And you can gradually learn that and everything's available to you at no cost. You can learn online. You can learn here. You can get all the books and resources. Everything's available for you. So there's help for you if you like that. Okay. Any other questions here about craving? Yes, ma'am.
6: Um, I'm generalizing now, but we live in a society um, that um, I suppose is like a social construct of we, we want a nice house. We want a car. We
7: want holidays. We want money in the bank. Is, is that a form of craving?
3: To be successful. Go out.
1: Get some impermanence with the mic again. Absolutely. There we go. The Buddhist teachings explain even modern technology. Yeah. So to answer your question, is when the mind's having wants, want, 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 that's the craving, desire, attachment there are certain needs that you have. You need shelter, right? There's there's essentially five basic needs to sustain your life. Food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical care. Those are the five things that you need. But when the mind has this, it wants this. And then when you have that, it wants this. And then when you have that, it wants this. It just keeps craving and craving and craving. It's never satisfied. That's what this unquenchable thirst of the craving-desire attachment is. So you might have a certain house that's, you know, a thousand square feet, or you know, a hundred square meters. Then you want more, and you want a bigger, and a bigger, and a bigger, and a bigger. It's never content with just what it has. The mind with craving, it's like the grass is always greener on the other side. And then you get to the other side, and it's like, whoa, I'm not happy here either. So it's always going to keep craving and craving and craving until you train it to be content with what is. So it's not the object. It's not that you're want to be successful because you need certain things in life. You need to sustain your life, but it's the wanting, the longing, the yearning, because if you were over here and you were indifferent about your career and you never pursued improved growth in your life, you wouldn't be peaceful and joyful there either. So it's pursuing your goals, your objectives, your interests. Do you really need that bigger house? Do you really need that new car? Do you really need one more pair of shoes? Do you really need you know, X number of dollars. I remember when I was in my professional career, I started out with a certain salary, then it got increased and now you get happy for a while, right? When you get a, when you get a raise at work, you get happy for a while and that lasts for a couple of months, maybe some cases, but then you kind of want more, right? And then you, you get that and then that's happy for a little while and then you want more and you want more and you want more. At one time I was making $150,000 a year in my career, right? And the mind just wants more and more and more, right? No matter how much money you have, you're going to want more, as long as there's craving, as long as there's craving in the mind, right? So when you eliminate your craving, you can learn that I need food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical care. Let me provide this. Everything else is extra. Everything else is a bonus, but you don't need to chase after it. You can just pursue it as a goal, objective, or interest. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. looks like Max, you have a question. If you'd like to go ahead, sir.
8: So along with, um, what you've kind of been answering questions about, um, maybe getting a different job or getting more money, more money, more money or, or whatnot. Um, I'm, I may be changing careers and getting a new job possibly. Um, it's um a decent amount more money but i'm trying to maintain um this change without craving desire attachment um and i mean it's i am just in the beginning process of this and um I haven't even had an interview yet or anything like that but I'm trying to see it as um, looking forward to the future and ensuring that I'll have um, enough money to survive and and I'll, you know, be in a comfortable living uh, or working situation because I understand that my health is on impermanence and I won't be able to do the Um, kind of very hands-on job that I'm doing now. Um, So I, I guess trying to balance or trying to keep an eye on, my question is how do I keep an eye on that craving to not, you know, look at this increased income as, a? how do I see that craving Before comes up, I guess.
1: Okay. So whenever there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, the mind's going to experience discontentedness. It's going to experience those conditioned pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant. So when you're looking to get a new job, you might notice excitement where the mind is chasing after this new job. If you notice that excitement, you'd like to pull it back and pull it back and pursue this new job as a goal, as an objective or interest. Because there's nothing wrong with money. Money is not the problem. You can actually be rich and be enlightened. Money is not the problem. It's how you acquire the money and how you choose to spend it, right? So you would like to have money for your family and increase your wealth. You can increase your wealth. There's no problem with that. It's about whether the mind chases after it or whether you work towards it as a goal or as an objective or interest. And then what do you do with the money once you get it? Are you fully self-absorbed with it or so forth? So if there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, you'll get really excited as you are looking for this job, as you find a new job, as you go in for the interview, as you get a phone call, you'll get excited. But then when you don't get those things, you'll get sad and frustrated and irritated. So at any point that you see your mind experiencing those conditioned, pleasant feelings, you like to pull it back and just look at it logically. And then if you ultimately get the job and you get an increased income, one of the ways to ensure that you're not only attached to the job, but also not attached to the income is keep your lifestyle the same for several months. Even though you're making more money, just keep your spending habits the same where you live in the same way. And then maybe with this extra money, you just put it in the bank for saving for a little while so that that way you don't run out and start buying all these things that the mind is maybe craving. So you can live for a few few months where you're just living the same lifestyle as you did before, because obviously you've been living under the current income for a period of time, so it's working out just fine for you. So this way you don't allow the mind to not only crave the job, but crave the money as well. And at any point that you see any conditioned pleasant feelings, just pull the mind back and just look at it logically and work towards these things as a goal, as an objective
3: or interest. Okay,
8: so... I guess the second part to the question I have is that maybe this job may have uh, in the future uh a possibility of getting a promotion where it would be more of a desk job where I wouldn't have to work with my hands and be on my feet all the time. Um, so maybe kind of bringing up in the mind that, okay, this is a goal I have, this is, I'm trying to maintain this goal. And when I, you know, if I have, if I start to feel feelings of excitement of this or that, or, you know, of, you know, making more money or something like that, pull the reins back and then focus on, okay, what are my, what's my goal that I'm working towards? Is is that the right thinking?
1: yes that's the right thinking and any goal or objective that you're working towards it's going to happen one decision at a time one foot step at a time so even though you might get a promotion a year two three five years from now That's going to be an accumulation of multiple wise decisions that lead you to that ultimate goal. So rather than focus on the goal and just crave after it and chase after it and plow through the next three years because you're chasing after that new promotion, instead look at what's the decision I need to make right now in the present moment that is wise, that's going to be helpful for the company, that's going to be helpful for my coworkers, that's going to be helpful for the customers, that's going to be helpful for me. What's the one decision? I need to make now the two decisions, three decisions, and just focus on the decision in front of you in the present moment, rather than this goal that's three years out or however many years out.
8: Okay. Thank you, sir.
1: Yeah. One of the things I'll share here with craving is you guys maybe think about any other questions you might have is this craving, desire, attachment, in these discontent feelings, as the mind's chasing something like a job, even though Max sounds like he's pursuing it quite nicely, if somebody was chasing after a job, oftentimes you get those pleasant feelings because you got this job. And these painful feelings that you experience as a result are oftentimes so far away from the situation when you got the job that you don't identify that the painful feelings are actually coming from this conditional pleasant feeling that you got. So if you chase after a job, for example, like you send in your resume, your CV, you make follow-up phone calls, you go to interviews, you do all these different things, and then you get so excited because you got this job, Now it's the perfect job, best salary, best title, best office location, wonderful coworkers. And now you're in that job for three years or five years, and then you get laid off, or the company goes out of business, or something else happens and you don't have that job anymore those painful feelings that you're experiencing five years later is because the mind had craving, desire, attachment from the very beginning, and it allowed itself to get those conditional pleasant feelings. So being able to see the conditional pleasant feelings as part of the problem is so key to getting to this peace and this joy that if you allow your mind to have conditional pleasant feelings, it's going to end up in the conditional painful feelings at some point. So if you allow your mind to get so excited about the sun, Then when it's not sunny, you'll get angry and frustrated. So training the mind how to be like, all right, great. It's sunny outside. You know what? This is going to be an excellent day. I'm going to go spend time with friends. We're going to go hiking. This is going to be outstanding. But all the while understanding that you may or may not be able to go outside because when you go take a shower and you come out and it's raining, it's like, all right, well, it's raining. So you know what? Maybe we'll go to the mall or maybe I'll invite my friends over and I can cook them dinner. Right. Or maybe I'll stay home and read a book. An enlightened being understands impermanence so when the sunshine changes to rain they're just going to change their plans because they never allow their mind to form the conditional pleasant feelings that i can only be happy if it's sunny outside and i get to go hiking with my friends that's the only condition where you can be happy in the unenlightened state for example so if you train your mind you can get to the point where your mind's already joyful already happy before you ever saw it was sunny outside and sure, you're you're like looking forward to a new job or you're looking forward to going hiking with your friends. It's like, sweet, this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be a great day. We're gonna have a blast. But then when the weather changes and you can't go hiking, you'll just change your plans. We're like, all right, well, let's go to the mall, maybe bring some friends over. I'll cook for them. Maybe I'll stay home and read a book. We'll just change plans, maintain our happiness, maintain our joy. The joy and the happiness, it's not dependent on whether it's sunny outside and whether you're going hiking or not. That's the difference in the unelighted mind, where you can just always maintain your happiness and joy, where when you're... Happiness is contingent, like on your work environment, or it's contingent on what your coworkers are doing, or contingent on whether you get this job or not, or contingent on how much money you have in your bank. That means your mind is attached to these things, and it can only be happy in those situations when those things are occurring in that specific way. So you're really limiting your happiness that way. Okay, any other questions here on craving? Oh, you have a question? Okay.
7: I I do not uh, very understand uh, generosity without any expectation. Like in the case you holding the door for others, Mm -hmm. you do not want any thank you, but you still want to realize the harmony status in your mind. It's still uh, an expectation, right? Like if you do not feel very good in your uh, mind, you will get frustrated.
1: So what are you wanting in that situation when you hold the door open? You. you want to thank you, right? So that's the craving, right? That's why you're going to be frustrated when you don't get it. Not. So what you need to get to is where you understand you're holding the door because it's a wise decision for you to make. And it's helping to enhance your mind. It's helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And it's wise to practice generosity. And that's not a want. That's not a craving. That's just understanding true reality. That if I practice generosity, this is a wise decision because it's helping to enhance my mind and helping me to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. So I need to stand here and just hold this door because it's a wise thing to do. And that's it. You don't want anything from this person. You don't expect anything from them. And then you can maintain your happiness. You can maintain your joy. But as long as you're standing there with a want, maybe, maybe not only do you want them to say thank you, but maybe you want them to make eye contact with you. Right. Maybe if they look to the ground and they say thank you, maybe you're not happy with that. Right. So the mind is going to have all these cravings that it wants and it can only be happy in those situations. And this is what the mind does to itself. So even though I share this with you, you're not going to be able to snap your fingers and instantly implement what I'm sharing with you here. That's why it's a consistent ongoing journey. It's a consistent practice. It's gradual training, gradual practice and gradual progress because the mind's so used to having cravings about everything and anything. The annihilated mind's a master at craving things you can even crave water, right? Like, let let me give you this example. So you guys can see that it's not the outside thing. It's not the external thing. Like say I went for, I'm going for a hike and I have a liter of water in my car and I drive to the head of the trail, the trailhead. And I go out on this hike and 30 minutes into the hike, I realized, Oh my goodness, I forgot my water. Ah, and I start running back to my car, maybe I twist my ankle on the way and I sling open the door and I grab the water. Ah, water, 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 water. right? The mind's craving this water and now it's gonna be discontent when it doesn't have what it wants. But another person who's more enlightened could be out on that trail. They could be like, hmm, I forgot my water. You know what? I'm going to be out here for six hours. I should turn around and go get it. So now you walk 30 minutes back to your car and you get your water and you calmly make your way on the trail. So it's not the object itself. So it's not the work environment. It's not the holding the door that is the problem. It's not the job that is the problem. It's inside your own mind, the wanting, the craving, the expecting things to be permanent. When the mind gets what it wants, It's happy when it doesn't get what it wants. It gets the sadness, frustration, or some other painful feeling. Did you have a follow-up or did I answer it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have an expectation that you have a question. You're going to need food, water, clothing, shelter, medical care. You're going to, you're going to do certain things in the world, right? You're going to go to the movies. You're going to go to dinner. You're going to have a job. You're going to have all these things, but it's learning how to not be attached to them. I'll give you another example. At one time I left my house and I accidentally left my phone at home and I was on my way out. I had like an hour and a half of things to do. And I was like, Hmm, I left my phone at home and I noticed this fear coming up in the mind, right? And right away the mind wanted to turn around and go get the phone, right? But that's not gonna solve the problem. Going to get the phone isn't going to solve the problem because the mind was craving for the phone to be permanent. And when the mind didn't have the phone, fear arose in the mind. So instead of turning around to go get the phone, I was interested in putting the mind in the situation that it didn't want to be in. And I needed to train it to be peaceful and joyful. So I continued in my journey. And not only did I stay outside for an hour and a half, I extended the amount of time that I was outside. I went to the movies. I went to go get something to eat. I was outside for like five or six hours training my mind that, Hey, you can be away from this phone and you can be peaceful and you can be joyful. You don't have to have this phone with you permanently. It's not possible to have this phone with you permanently. So then over the course of many weeks, I intentionally left sometimes the house where I didn't have the phone with me, putting the mind in that situation to train it, to eliminate this craving, this desire, this attachment. And then about two months later, I accidentally left the house again without the phone. And I was like, Hmm, I I don't have my phone. There was no fear. No fear arose at all because I'd eliminated the craving. I was like, oh, well, uh, I've been outside without a phone before. I can go. I can go outside. And I just went outside. So if your mind continues to crave and long and yearn for a certain thing externally, and you're wanting that thing to be permanent, then you're going to be discontent at some point. It's only a matter of time. So it's learning how to be satisfied with what is being inwardly fulfilled not trying to have something external complete you. Like if I have the phone, I'll be happy. If I have the boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll be happy. If I have the job, I'll be happy. If my bank account is this, I'll be happy. That's conditional happiness based in craving and it's temporary. So therefore it's displeasing, but you can get to the point where your mind understands all these things are impermanent and you're not craving for anything to be permanent. So then you just pursue things as a goal, as an objective or interest based on your needs versus your wants. Mm -hmm. I'm not, sure, I'm not
0: sure if your mic's on or not. Better. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll repeat my question again and say, would you say craving itself is poisonous? How do you differentiate craving and motivation? Say, uh, my theory being, if Buddha in his early days didn't feel the craving to save people from their sufferings, if he didn't feel con- discontent, from all the suffering like him and other people are feeling he wouldn't take his path mm-hmm. impermanence the batteries uh, to...
1: he wouldn't have taken the path to get to enlightenment is that what you're gonna okay. say okay uh
0: to the enlightenment and uh <clears throat> to, to yeah and we wouldn't have like buddhism and all the things we have all the good things we have right now so okay yeah. So prior to the Buddha's enlightenment, he did have craving, anger, and
1: ignorance, right? And he became discontent. And that was the motivator that motivated him to get to enlightenment. But by the time you get to enlightenment, you don't have craving, anger, and ignorance anymore. So his journey to enlightenment included him eliminating craving, desire, attachment. You wouldn't be able to get to this peace and this joy. So if you keep chasing things, like at one time in his life he was he would have never got to the peace and to the joy. So to get to the peace and joy, you need to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment. Maintaining craving, desire, attachment isn't gonna lead to the peace and to the joy. Does that make sense? So the differentiating thing between craving and motivation is you can be motivated to do something, but it comes not from craving, desire, attachment. It comes from wise decision-making. If you chase, 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 you can only be happy when you get what you want. But if you just have internal motivation, that's a wise decision to do something that can be your motivation to do something without craving, desire, attachment. So the Buddha for 45 years from the age of 35 to 80 He was in that enlightened mental state and he didn't have craving, desire, attachment. He gradually shared his teachings into the world with all those with a sincere interest to learn and practice his teachings. If he had a craving to share his teachings, when he had, you know, maybe 5,000 students in his class, he would be happy perhaps. And maybe if he had... 50 people or five people, he would be sad or frustrated and he would be bitter and harsh and hostile towards people. But because he was loving and warm and kind and friendly, his mind was calm and peaceful and joyful. People could see that he had attained this mental state and he was able to gradually share his teachings as a goal, as an objective or an interest. And he was motivated to help people out of wise decision-making, but he wasn't craving it. So Because he was doing this without craving, desire, attachment. He was doing it through generosity, yes, but also loving kindness and compassion and wisdom. Now, by sharing his teachings in that way, people actually understood them. People were able to learn them. People were able to get benefit. Whereas if he had craving, anger, and ignorance, he wouldn't have been able to help anybody. So you can actually help yourself and help others when you don't have craving, anger, and ignorance. Mm -hmm. Rasmus, you changing the batteries? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Any other questions here or online? Yes, ma'am.
7: Just to see if I really understand. Mm-hmm. But if I, like, am I, I'm in a relationship and sometimes I want something from the other. Mm-hmm. And if I ask it kindly and uh, his answer is no and I'm okay with it, mm-hmm. then it's okay because sometimes you want something. Sometimes I feel like oh please no mobile phone during dinner or whatever but then if you want and i'm okay with that is Mm -hmm. that where it's about
1: if you are asking somebody for something Mm -hmm. and if they say no and you're completely fine with that Mm -hmm. then you're not wanting it this is one of the challenges in the mind is we use vocabulary that doesn't really accurately reflect what's going on in the mind if you're wanting it That means if you get it, you'll get happy. If you don't get it, you'll be sad or frustrated or irritated. So what you might say to your partner, and I don't know if I'm using the same language as you or not, but you might say, like my wife, like I said to her the other day, I called her up. I said, hey, I'm at the temple. Would it be possible for you to take my laundry to the laundry? Because I have other people wash these white clothes because... We don't have the filtration system at our house to be able to wash the clothes and they just do it really cheaply. So I said, would it be possible for you to take my clothes to the laundry? She said, sure, I can do that for you. I was like, all right, great. So I didn't say, I want you to take the clothes right? I said, would you mind or could you, would it be possible for you? And then when she said, yes, sure. Great. Thank you. And I appreciate that. And then if she would have said no, I said, okay, thank you. I'll take care of it myself at some point and you can maintain your joy. But if I would have said, I want you to do this and then she doesn't do it, you'd be angry or frustrated. So right now, if you're using the word want a lot, when you talk to people, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. You'll find that you'll have struggles. Like I have an 11 year old son as well. And I don't use this word want our household. You don't hear us use the word want. So I will say, I would like you to, clean the dishes, or I would like you to put away the dishes, or would it be possible for you to take out the trash? Or have you done your homework? I think we should sit down and review your homework, right? Instead of, I want to sit down and review your homework. I want you to take out the trash. I want you to do this. So you'll find you'll actually be more successful and people will be more inclined to do the things that you're interested in them doing, but they're going to sometimes say no. Right. Sometimes I say my son, hey, let's sit down and do homework. And he's like, oh, dad, I'm finishing up this movie. You know, I I need like 30 minutes to watch the end of this movie. I'm like, all right, that's fine. As long as we do it after the movie, that'll, that'll work out. Whereas if I had a craving... And then he said that you'd be angry. You'd be frustrated. And now you damage your relationship through your unskillful intention, speech, and actions being bitter and harsh and hostile. I'm your father. I said, let's do homework. Come on. What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Right. That's where you start damaging your relationships. So when you can eliminate craving, desire, attachment, your mind won't get to this next poison that we're going to be talking about here, which is the anger. And then you won't be unskillful in your conduct. So, in your situation, even though you're using the word want, I would say w- the way you're practicing is it's an interest, it's a goal. Because when they said no, you were completely fine with that.
7: Mm-hmm. I'm not using the word want, but it is what I want. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. The, well, the, mm-hmm.
4: yeah, the, yeah,
7: to be honest. Yeah. So then if the answer is no, I notice, yeah. like, okay.
4: Hmm. Yeah.
1: So, one of the things <laughs> yeah. you're doing on this path to enlightenment is you're changing your perspective of the way you look at the world and the way you interact in the world. Because once you understand the natural laws of existence, you start interacting in the world completely differently. So you guys that have been here learning with me for the last several days, you see that when I do meditation, I don't say, I want you to do meditation. I want you to chant with me. I say, I would like to invite you to meditate with me. If you're interested in meditating, I'm going to start with chanting and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. If you'd like to take a nice comfortable position, blah, 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 right? that's the way I talk, you won't hear me use the word want, right? So if you clean up your vocabulary, you'll start being able to speak and the mind can reflect that. And now you're going to see different experiences where people are going to be more willing to go along with what it is that you're, that you're suggesting or that you're encouraging. But still, there's going to be some people that, that don't. And then you can just be fine with that because it's not a want. You changed your perspective in your mind. And this takes time for you to gradually shift towards this new perspective of the way to interact in the world. And that's where the Buddha is giving you guidance on that eightfold path of how to do that. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome.
6: I just have a follow up in regards to the work environment. How do you um, have a better understanding of, I guess, the craving of not just appreciation, but when when it's a reflection of gaslighting?
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so so, sure. Okay, so this new term that people are using for gaslighting. I'm not sure how you define it, but the way that I understand it is, people think that somebody is doing something and is trying to make you feel like you're insane or crazy. Is that, how do you define it? So, because I would like to teach you to help you.
6: Um, it's more of um, kind of using their words and making you
4: think that you are actually. Um, how do you want to say it,
6: not crazy or anything, but just that they're using words to make you think that what they're saying is real, and then it's an actual manipulative format of them trying to get what they want, or maybe having them think lesser of yourself okay. kind of thing, not, not the, the craze gaslighting new phase.
1: Okay, so if you are understanding that everything is a result of your decisions, nobody can gaslight you. It's not possible. What people are calling gaslighting is just an individual blaming somebody else for what they're thinking and what they're experiencing. So there's nothing you could say to me that's going to make me think like the way that you just described what gaslighting is, because what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to learn to reflect independently, verify and practice and get to wisdom. So you could say anything and anything that you'd like to me. And I know true reality. If someone could say, Hey, it's the sky's purple. Oh, okay. I understand your opinion, but that's that person's opinion. So, There's this modern term of gaslighting, and this is just another way for individuals to blame somebody else for what they're experiencing. And as long as an individual continues to blame other people for what you're experiencing, you'll never be able to get to peace and joy because what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing is somebody else's fault, that somebody else is making me feel a certain way. So this is part of that unknowing of true reality that the mind in the modern world is learning about these different things that isn't true reality. So things like gaslighting, this isn't actually possible. If you listen to what people say and then you don't believe what they say, that's you should never believe what somebody says. You need to see true reality. There's other things that you hear, like people talk about that you should go around and, and set boundaries. Have you heard this? Like people will say you're, you should set boundaries. That's just going around trying to teach everybody to do things your way right? And if somebody crosses your boundary, you're going to get angry or frustrated. That's not going to work. That's, that's going around trying to teach everybody how to do things your way. It just doesn't work. So what you need to get to is wise decision-making where when somebody says something to you, you look at true reality, is this true or is this false? So, um, you know, if you'd like to use an example, we could talk about a specific example, but it's not possible for someone to be gaslighted. This is a unknowing of true reality where the mind is blaming somebody else for what they're experiencing. So if my son came in and said, dad, mom, uh, mom's doing this or mom's doing this or mom's doing that. Um, I would say, oh, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. And then I'm going to go talk to mom, say, hey mom, did you did you do this? And she's gonna be like, oh no, that's not the way it happened. It happened like this. Oh, okay, thank you. Right. So you're confirming. Whereas if somebody says something to you and you just believe it, then that's the mind believing it. It hasn't gotten to the truth. So then if someone experiences certain feelings about that, they might say, Oh, you gaslighted me. It's your fault that I feel this way. And that's just part of what we call wrong view there's something called right view where you establish right view realizing that all your feelings and all your thoughts and everything you experience is based on your own mind it's not based on something external and this is what i was teaching yesterday mm-hmm. anything else okay more questions you guys are full of questions today <laughs> this is good
7: oh okay This sound. Now. okay i have a question With regards to generosity, Mm -hmm. okay. So um, I do remember the once upon a time when I was very giving and very sharing, but (laughs) due to certain you know bad experience of me maybe lending big sums of money to friends and Mm -hmm. I not never got it back, Mm -hmm. I realized I was very like I I reduced my ability to give and Mm -hmm. share, and I feel. Um, I don't crave that person saying thank you to me, but I was like, I, I think I'm craving certain neutrality at least, mm-hmm. meaning to not get um, hurt mm-hmm. in this aspect. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand. On this note, how do I use, um, you know, the teachings to help me to get back to that point where I'm, you know, once upon a time willing to be open.
1: Sure. So this is one of the things that the mind does in the enlightened state is when you have a, a bad experience, when you experience painful feelings in the mind, the mind falsely understanding where those painful feelings are coming from, it thinks it's something external. So the mind experiences what's called conditioning of the mind. The mind gets conditioned to believe a certain way And now because the mind believes that the problem is external, it will push people away or push a situation away. Like, oh, the problem, why I'm experiencing these painful feelings is because I shared, I gave money and now I'm just going to stop doing that. Right. And it pushes that away and it thinks that that's going to solve the problem. But it doesn't, because as long as you're selfish in the world, then you're experiencing discontentedness because the mind's not eliminating its craving, desire, attachment. So in this situation, I would like to talk about the situation first and I'll tell you how to get out of it. When you're loaning somebody money and they're supposed to pay you back, this actually is not generosity because you want your money back, right? There's an expectation there. So underlying all of life and underlying all of the teachings of the Buddha is what's called discernment which is wise decision-making. That's what you're trying to get to, is ultimately training your mind to have wisdom so that this gaslighting that you're talking about, it's not possible because you have wisdom to be able to see true reality. So underlying all of this is discernment or wise decision-making, which requires wisdom. So if you had a friend for two days and they're asking you to borrow $5,000, it's probably not a wise decision to let them borrow it, right? Or if somebody that you've known for five years ask you to borrow money, you might say, you know what, I'm not quite sure. Let me think about it for a period of time and let me see. And you look to see, are they craving, are they longing, are they yearning? You kind of wait a little bit, try to talk to them a little bit about the challenge that they're experiencing. Why is it that they need the money? Maybe you'll talk to some other people and see you know, how loyal are they in paying this money back. Whereas if you make a really quick decision, not based in discernment, based on your own craving to help this person then you'll probably make an unwise decision because when you make decisions based in craving it's gonna produce unwholesome results so if you don't have craving you can pull your mind back and you can take your time and make the decision wisely if the other person's craving for the money they're gonna be trying to force you to give it to them they're gonna be craving 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 and that's a red flag to tell you hey it's unwise for me to share this money with them or let them borrow it so you'll need to make wiser decisions about who you allow to borrow money and saying no, that someone can't borrow money, you haven't done anything wrong. You're not going to be able to permanently let everybody borrow money in certain situations. You're going to say no, but what you would like to do is learn how to say no without saying no. This is called the art of the friendly, no how to say no without saying no. Right? So you might say, Oh, you need to borrow some money. I understand, I'm not quite sure if I can loan you that money right now because I've got a lot of things going on in my life, but if I'm able to, I will let you know. You might be interested to talk to some other people in the meantime, but I'm gonna think about this and if I can let you borrow it, I'll let you know. So I haven't said no, because the unenlighted mind doesn't like no. When you say no to your friend, you can't borrow money, they'll get painful feelings. They're gonna attribute those painful feelings to you and then they're gonna push you away this is their aversion. So one of the things that you're learning on the path to enlightenment is how to navigate the world with all these unenlightened beings so that you can live more harmoniously with everyone. So the way that you get to this is you need to train your mind. You need to learn the eightfold path. It's the core central teaching that I taught yesterday, but I teach it at other times too, in the various courses and retreats. It's been recorded. I have books and audiobooks and all these things are available to you. So you're going to need to learn the teaching of the buddha really deeply so that you're actively training your mind i would encourage you to read the first book out of the book series that i have back there you can download it for free from our website you can take it and go print it or if you like printed versions you can get them here at the temple or online through amazon and if you start reading that first book or listen to the audiobook and you start attending the classes regularly either here or if you travel you can attend online through live stream and you can gradually learn the path to enlightenment and how to develop a life practice. That's the title of this book, Developing a Life Practice, the path that leads to enlightenment. So you develop this practice of training your mind where now you can learn discernment and you can learn all these other wholesome teachings that are gonna help you make wiser and wiser decisions in the world.
7: I think at that point, um, thank you for the explanation. So I think what happened was, yeah, the person was, Almost going to a certain bankruptcy, so that. But still, at that point, now that I'm reflecting, I think there was craving to save the person.
3: Yeah,
1: you know? if someone's going through bankruptcy, that tells you something right there that they don't pay their bills. So it would be very unwise to let someone borrow money that's going through bankruptcy. So that's your wisdom right there that could help you.
7: <laughs> but at that point, yeah, you know, sometimes it's like you just can't stand seeing person. That's your craving. Yes. That's your craving. And that's
1: why it led to an unwholesome result. Anytime you make decisions through craving, it's gonna lead to an unwholesome result.
7: Thank you so much.
1: You can verify the teachings of the Buddha like I shared, right? You can independently verify through various examples in your life in the lives of people around you. So this is where you can see you're not a bad person, right? You haven't done anything wrong. You would like to work in an environment that's healthy and, and that people are living peacefully together. You would like to loan your friends money and have them pay it back to you. You know, you would like to get a new job and expand your income. You're not a bad person. It's just that the mind lacks wisdom of these natural laws and how the world functions. So when you're making decisions in this world with a lack of the wisdom of the natural laws of existence, you'll make unwinds wise decisions without even realizing it. And with that lack of wisdom, it'll produce unwholesome results. So as the mind is craving, if you get what you want, you get pleasant feelings. But if you don't get what you want, you'll get painful feelings. And one of those painful feelings is anger, the hatred, the ill will, the hostility, the bitterness, the resentment, the aversion of pushing things away. And when this comes up in the mind, the mind will then have unskillful conduct that you might be bitter and harsh and hostile through your intentions your speech and your actions so with craving in the mind it's only a matter of time before it ends up in the anger or the lesser versions like frustration or annoyance or agitation or irritation and when your mind is agitated or angry or frustrated that's when your unskillful conduct's gonna come out. Your intention, speech, and actions are gonna be bitter and harsh and hostile. And now when you put that out in your relationships, you're gonna damage your relationships. And now these unwholesome results are going to transpire because of the craving, it's leading to anger, and now that anger produces these unskillful conduct in your life. So you can transform the craving, like I mentioned, through breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity, and you can transform the anger through loving kindness meditation meditation and practicing loving kindness in your intentions, your speech, and your actions. Loving kindness is the exact opposite of anger, hatred, ill will, this bitterness, this hostility. Loving kindness is an active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. So there's a specialized meditation that essentially rewires your mind because right now when you have craving, if you get what you want, you get happy. But if you don't get what you want, you go down this path of anger. And this is a well-worn path. You've been down this path many times. The bushes are pushed back. The stickers are pushed back. The grass is all worn out. You know where this path leads to. It leads to broken relationships. So if you keep allowing craving to persist, the anger will arise and your mind will go down this path of anger. But what Loving kindness meditation is, it's there to help transform your mind and essentially rewire your mind. It's like getting out a machete and you're going down this new path, you're forging this new path, you're cutting through the bushes and the stickers, and that's why it's gonna be a little bit of a struggle, or maybe a lot of a bit of a struggle, depending on how much anger you have in your mind. It's gonna be really hard to go down this path, perhaps, of loving kindness. But if you keep going down this path with your machete and you keep breaking through the bushes and the stickers, this becomes the well-worn path that now when somebody does something you don't want them to do, any anger or frustration that's arising in your mind, if you understand coming from your own mind, rather than going down this path of anger where you're bitter and harsh to people, you go down this path of loving kindness. And now this becomes the well-worn path and this old path that gets overgrown. By the time you get to enlightenment, it's physically impossible for you to get angry about anything. You can't get angry. It's not physically possible. So your mind moves towards this loving kindness like getting a machete out and breaking through the bushes and this old path gets overgrown and now you go down this new path so because the mind starts understanding that you're not going to permanently get things the way you want so you learn through loving kindness meditation to rewire the mind and then you learn through the eightfold path to improve your intentions your speech and your actions and you can learn how to love the person while disagreeing with their decisions Nowadays, depending on where your mind is in certain relationships, when somebody does something you disagree with, they make a decision you disagree with, you might hate them or you might get angry at them because you disagree with their decision. But you can learn how to love the person, meaning you have a genuine interest in seeing them be well, while disagreeing with the choices and decisions that they make. You will never agree with your mom's decisions 100%. You'll never agree with your father's decisions or your brothers or your sisters or your friends or your colleagues or your coworkers. You won't agree with their decisions because they've had different experiences in life than you. So they're going to make different decisions. What the unenlightened mind does is it has certain cravings in the mind and it wants everybody to do things your way. The mind wants the world to be your way, but the world can't be your way. It is the way that it is with the natural laws of existence. So that's why the Buddha is teaching you how the world is. And the world is impermanent, which means sometimes people are going to make decisions the same way as you. In other cases, they're going to make decisions differently than you. This is just impermanence. So if you can only love people who make decisions the same way as you, you're only ever going to love one person because there's only one person who makes decisions exactly the same way as you. Do you know who that is? yourself, right? You're the only one who makes decisions that way. So if you can only love people and you can only live harmoniously with people who make decisions your way, you're going to be alone all by yourself. But if you can learn that everybody's going to make different decisions and this is okay, this is normal, and you can love the person while disagreeing with the decisions, then you can actually get to peace and harmony with others. So my mom rarely made decisions the way that I did. And for my early childhood and my early adulthood, we had a lot of problems in our life, a lot of resentment towards her. But then over time I realized, yeah, she's gonna make decisions differently than me, and that's okay. It's her life, it's her decisions, it's her results. I will try to help her, I will advise her, I will give her suggestions, not with craving, desire, attachment, not trying to force her or control her, not trying to put expectations on her, but just giving her advice when she's open to it. If she's not open to advice, then I won't share it, right? So over time, I started practicing this way with her and we eliminated all of our anger and hostility and resentment toward each other. It's loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in your daily life, which the Buddha teaches you as part of the Eightfold Path that's gonna help you uproot this anger out of the mind and get to the point where you can be loving and kind with everybody in your life. The more loving kindness that you put out, the more that will come back to you. But you need to put out loving kindness without the expectation that it is going to come back to you. It's not going to be one week or one month that you're going to be able to transform your mind and transform your life. It's going to take time. But gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress by... Training your mind in this way, you'll be able to get to the point where all your relationships are fulfilling and satisfying. You don't have any resentment, any bitterness, any hostility in any of your relationships whatsoever. But it just takes time for you to transform your mind. As long as you keep these logs like a log jam of anger and resentment and hostility in your mind. It's like a log jam, nothing can move. But you got to start taking out these logs of anger, these logs of ill will, these logs of frustration and resentment so things can flow a bit more. Sometimes an individual might hold on to anger thinking that you're hurting the other person. This is sometimes what the mind does is like you think you're going to get back at somebody by holding on to your anger but you're not actually harming anybody. You're only harming yourself. This would be like holding on to a hot coal in your hand and trying to burn somebody else. There's only one person getting burned. It's you. So as long as you hold anger and hatred and resentment and irritation and hostility in your mind, it's only harming your own mind. And it's this loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in your daily life, which is going to teach you how to eliminate this and liberate the mind from the anger. And this just takes time. And then you can have skillful interactions with people. You can be skillful in your intentions, your speech, and your actions. And for those of you guys that learned the Eightfold Path yesterday, you learned how to do that through right intention, right speech, and right action. And for those of you guys that didn't learn that, it's available to you in all those different methods that I mentioned. So do you guys have any questions on this? No? Okay. Okay so now the whole reason why all of this is occurring is because of this third poison or this third unwholesome root or this third fire and you're trying to uproot these out of the mind you're trying to extinguish these fires it's called ignorance or delusion or confusion or misunderstanding the mind just doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. That's where you can see you're not a bad person. You haven't done anything wrong necessarily. It's just that the mind lacks wisdom. And as long as you lack wisdom, you're gonna keep making the same decisions over and over and over again, and they'll keep producing the same results over and over and over again. But when you cultivate wisdom, you can get to the point where you completely uproot this craving and anger out of the mind. It's because of ignorance that craving and anger continues to exist in the mind. So the exact opposite of ignorance his wisdom. That's why you're encouraged when you first start learning the teachings of the Buddha to learn his teachings, to investigate them, to examine them. Then you reflect on them to independently verify them that they're true. Then you practice his teachings to uproot these unwholesome roots out of the mind so that you can then get to liberation where the mind is purified and you no longer have these pollutions in the mind, but you're going to need wisdom of how to do that. A Buddha can figure this out by themselves. That's one of the criteria that make a Buddha a Buddha is that they can do it by themselves. But you're going to need help. You're going to need teachers. You're going to need guidance. You're going to need resources to help you because you're not a Buddha. A Buddha gets to enlightenment by themselves. They dedicate the rest of their life to helping others get to enlightenment. And countless people will get to enlightenment during the lifetime of a Buddha. And then they will preserve their teachings in such a way that countless more people can get to enlightenment after their death. But everyone else is gonna need teachers and guides to be able to share the teachings with you. But then when you're learning teachings from a teacher, whether it's in a book, whether it's in a video, whether it's in a class like this, you never believe anything a teacher says. You don't believe what I say. So when I'm teaching today, You can learn what I'm sharing with you. You can reflect on it to independently verify it based on the direct experiences that you've had in life. And then if you start practicing what I'm sharing with you, you'll see the results in your life. You'll see that your mind in your life is becoming more peaceful and more joyful. So that comes from learning things like the Three Universal Truths, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, the Brahma Viharas, the Natural Law of Gamma, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, extensive meditation training, in learning about the 10 fetters, the 10 individual pollutions that are in the mind. So as you're learning these teachings, again, you're learning, reflecting, and practicing. You're independently verifying them. You're transforming the mind through your practice of the teachings. You can intellectually learn the teachings of the Buddha but you're not actually going to experience the results until you start practicing them. So it's wonderful to come here to the temple and learn and listen to a teacher teach. It's great to read a book and watch videos and all these kinds of things, but you need to put these teachings into your practice. This is why I described this first book entitled it Developing a Life Practice because you need to practice the teachings on a daily basis. And you do that gradually. You gradually ramp up your practice and a teacher is here to guide you. <clears throat> We're not here to convince you of anything. We're not here to ask you to believe anything. We're not here to force you or control you to do anything. We're here to give you guidance and help and support along the path. But you are doing the work. You're the one who's doing all the work to get to enlightenment an individual who's a teacher should have already done the work to be able to either get to enlightenment or close to it. So we're here to guide you and support you and encourage you along the way, but you're going to need to have the energy, the motivation, the enthusiasm, not allowing the mind to be complacent, but also not chasing after this enlightened mental state either. If you chased after enlightenment, if you craved it, if you desired it, if you longed and yearned for it, then you're not gonna actually be able to experience it. So you work towards enlightenment as a goal, as an objective or an interest by gradually cultivating wisdom of the path to enlightenment. So just to summarize what we've been talking about this morning is there's these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality, also described as greed, hatred, and delusion, or desire, ill will, and confusion. Then there's the three antidotes or the three wholesome roots, which are generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. When you're making decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, remember all supported with discernment, that wise decision-making, that's where the wisdom comes from. When you're making decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, you'll experience wholesome results. So you're gradually bringing down your craving, desire, attachment, gradually bringing down your anger, hatred, ill will, your ignorance, your confusion, your a knowing of true reality, you're gradually bringing that down, and you're gradually ramping up your generosity, your loving kindness, and wisdom. And then there's these tools and techniques like meditation and other things on the path to enlightenment to support you in developing your mind to move closer and closer to practicing generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. So this is a high level understanding of what's causing the mind to experience discontentedness, craving, anger and ignorance, and then the solutions of generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. And it's when you eradicate the three unwholesome roots and bring in the wholesome roots that the mind's actually enlightened because you've now purified the mind. All the pollutions are out of the mind and this brightness and radiance of the enlightened mind can shine through. And it's the Eightfold Path that is going to help you learn how to do that. So let me know what questions you guys have and we'll just open up to any remaining questions before we end our topic this morning. Do you guys have anything you'd like to talk about? Mm-hmm.
9: I was having a conversation with a girlfriend this morning who has a one-year-old and it just got me thinking about um, raising children uh, with a sense of permanence. Mm. I was just thinking about how I feel like a lot of them have like their, you know, their favorite blankie or like they have certain things that they would perhaps feel are permanent in their life or that their mothers are around all the time. Uh, So I was just curious as to whether it would maybe be a good idea to start guiding and training their minds to get used to that sense of impermanence so that they can then realize the universal law or the universal truth of of impermanence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When we're born into the world, we have craving. That's the whole reason why we're born. That's what causes rebirth is the craving-desire attachment. So the more you can implement impermanence into a child's life, the better for them because then their mind doesn't get used to craving permanence so i did this a lot with my son like when he would make legos and then he would go to school i would actually break them up a little bit into like three or four or five pieces and lay them on the floor so when he would come home he would see that and then at first he would get upset and he would cry because of his craving right his mind would move to anger Right, and then I would sit down on the floor because I'd already taught him about the four noble truths. I would sit down on the floor, talk to him, counsel him, help him understand that yeah, these Legos aren't permanent, but also being separated—they're not. That's not permanent either. You can put them back together. So then, five days later, he would go to school again, and I would break them up again, and he would come home, but he would be less discontent. You could see that he had less craving. So then I'd wait another week or two, and then I'd break him up again. And he'd come home. He'd say. Dad, you broke up my Legos, didn't you? I was like, yep, sure did. He's like, all right, I'm just going to put them back together. I was like, perfect. No discontentedness whatsoever. So you can do this with children. Children can get to enlightenment as early as age seven. The Buddha, during his lifetime, children got to enlightenment at that point. So if you can imagine from age seven, never experiencing sadness, misery, angry, frustrated, wouldn't it be wonderful? Right, None of us had that opportunity right? because we didn't grow up in the culture like here in Thailand. But now that you're an adult, you can choose to learn the teachings and get to that point where you never experience any of those feelings ever again.
9: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if it would be easier to reach enlightenment without the, the patterns and habits and neural pathways that have been created from, from life
1: yes the earlier you learn the better there's never a bad time to learn the teachings of the buddha but a child has much less pollution in their mind they have much less conditioning because they haven't had as many experiences so they can actually train their mind more readily if there's adults that can help them right and this is your gamma the results of your decisions if you're born into a family that is learning and practicing the teachings and that has the wisdom of the teachings this can be really beneficial for you none of us probably grew up in a family like that. So we really struggled in life because we were taught all kinds of different things. We saw our parents being angry and maybe hostile and bitter and harsh and having fear and all these kinds of things. So that's what we learned. We learned craving, anger, and ignorance. That's what we learned. So now your is your opportunity that you can transform all of that. But yeah, if you can learn as an adult and then say you end up having children, then you teach your children. I started teaching my son when he was six. That's formally. But I think of it as he was learning when he was in the womb of his mom because she was meditating. So he came out. He was a very easy baby. And then even when he was an infant, we were doing things with him to help train his mind, even when he was an infant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, let me check online, see if we have any questions here. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere else. So what I'm gonna do is just in this particular class here, basically 11.25, I'm going to start again in 15 minutes. I'm going to be sharing the five precepts with you. These are five impactful decisions that an individual can make either wisely or unwisely that are going to lead to either wholesome results or unwholesome results. Some of you guys might have just been here for this morning or you didn't really have an idea of how long you were going to be here. And if you're leaving at the break time, I'll see you another time perhaps. But if you'd like to come back and continue to learn, I'm going to be sharing the five precepts. And then this afternoon, I'm going to be sharing walking meditation. You guys are all welcome and invited here at the temple. And those of you guys online will also be live streaming and having Zoom as well. So I'll just end by sharing my appreciation and my gratitude for you guys deciding today's a day that you'd like to learn the teachings of the buddha thank you for your questions thank you for your attention and your interest to learn the teachings so perhaps i'll either see you after break or maybe perhaps in a different class if there's anything i can do to help you feel free to come talk to me and i'll be able to help you so i'm going to start back up in 15 minutes which will be 11 40 i think that is 11 40 so we'll see you guys then have a lovely rest of your day and perhaps i'll see you after break sawadee kap sawadee kap